Welcome to The Gridiron Show. We are taping this on a Thursday morning. I am joined on the line by the great producer, Michael. Michael, how are you? Ollie, it's great to see you virtually again and speak with you again. Uh, excited to talk some football. We are, what, four, four weeks out from the Pro Football Hall of Fame game. I know it's my favorite game of the year, so uh, very excited. Ten weeks from the start of the season. Um, and we're going to discuss Baker Mayfield. Let's just do the Baker Mayfield of it all. We'll discuss Baker, the Panthers, the Browns, some of the knock-on domino effects. Uh, we were going to do this week the NFL's all-bargain team. I've been writing this piece for what feels like three months now about the, the biggest bargain players in the NFL, but we'll get to that next week instead um, because the Baker news happened and it came a little bit out of left field because that market had really cooled down and it wasn't clear who was that interested. I know Rappaport had his report this week that the Seahawks have never been interested and that was kind of an agent-driven narrative and so the only team really left there on the carousel was the Panthers again after doing Donald, after doing Teddy Bridgewater, after moving up in the draft to take Matt Corral who they would have, Jesus, had to have thrown in there week four, week five, completely undercooked. So they send a conditional fifth round pick to the Browns, which could become what, a fourth or a third, I can't quite remember. Um, it feels like horrific value, but in the vacuum of Baker was never going back there. The Browns knew it. The Panthers knew it. The market was completely destroyed. What was your initial impression when you saw the news? My initial impression when I saw the news outside of Baker Mayfield is, are we ever going to have a week in this league where nothing happens? Uh, I just laughed when I seen it because I literally sat down and went, oh, here we go. Um, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall on the second night of the drafts before they traded up for Matt Corral. And the conversation that they had with Cleveland and the whole prospect there of what was going to happen with this trade, because it was going to eventually happen because they were looking at behind the scenes, uh, Baker Mayfield, the player, Baker Mayfield, the man, they clearly wanted to take the hit in them. And the financial deal they've got there where the Browns hit 10 million, the Panthers only hit five. And it literally sums it up that Baker Mayfield is happy enough to wipe off 3 million and go to Carolina and um, I would have loved it if he had walked into OTS day one in Cleveland. I think he should have for the crack and for the fun. But uh, like, I mean, I, I know we're going to talk about this down the stretch here. But where, like, where the hell did Cleveland go from here? It's it's a it's a move of redemption, I guess, for for Baker. I like it. I didn't like it last night, and now I do like it. I'm sort of talking myself around to it, just researching everything. But uh, it's an interesting move. Yeah, there's nowhere really else. He, I mean, if I was him, I would have definitely preferred the one year in a legendary spot and kind of had a year off with the injury and getting surgery. And he's got so, so many issues that we can get into that kind of bogged him down last year that I think that's going to take some time to undo. And if you drop him into a Carolina situation where I'm not sure the protection is going to be what he would expect, where I just have no confidence in Ben McAdoo and Matt Rule to be able to figure out a coherent plan or philosophy to maximize Baker Mayfield, I, you know, to me, the prime one sitting right there was go to Tampa, sit there for a year behind Brady. Brady leaves at the end of the year and then he gets a really good team for the next year. If I was paying to go play somewhere, which is basically what he's doing, I know he wanted to be a starter and all that. that. That's not something I would have I would have necessarily done. I think I would have looked at one of those destinations where I could have sat behind someone who might leave the next year, even if it's, I don't know, Indianapolis with them doing one year of Ryan and saying, we're doing the, the quarterback carousel again, you know, something something like that, or trying to get yourself into that Steelers room with Mitch and, and Kenny Pickett. I don't know. I, I guess he gets to be a starter, but I just that that, that People seem to be somewhat excited about Anderson, 
running Christian McCaffrey. Um, the fact they've got the two tackles. I really like the two tackles. I think Taylor Moten's really good. Bias alert. I helped recruit him at Western Michigan. So I really like Taylor Moten. Iki Aquanu, I think, would be one of the five best tackles in the game. But you're asking a lot of, a, of the rookie to step in and be like Rashawn Slater was last year. So that that's an ask unto itself. The interior of the line, I don't like very much. So I just, we, we can work through it. But what is the ceiling there? It's like six, seven wins, I reckon. Um and then the staff moving on, and then you're in a situation of having to try and prove to a new coach when you could have maybe gone and sat somewhere as an understudy for a year and had the long-term five, six-year play. I guess if you go back to the season, like, what, 2020, he had that fantastic season. And in that mindset then, it's, okay, he's got a couple of years here, and then he's going to be in line for a big deal. He's on, what, the last year, of, is it 18.9, 19 million? On yeah, contract? he's playing Obviously, on the fifth-year option, right? Yeah, and it's been reached, it's, it's even been tucked down less now. I guess for him, it goes to that situation where if he goes into Carolina, and I guess many people expect him to beat Sam Darnold in training camp. Maybe he might not. Let's see what happens. He should, if he is, he's described himself as 100%. He reckons he's back to where he was. If that is the case, and he plays well this season, and does maybe go over a six or seven win stretch, what situation is he going to be in going into 2023 in terms of, being available to a team, but I guess for him financially, what money could he get? And maybe he's betting on himself to to go in. For for McAdoo and and for the the Panthers, it it seems like why not? It seems like for those lads on the the record of it is a ten and twenty three for Matt Rule or whatever, or Matt, and it feels like they're in Vegas and they haven't put money in red or black, but they've just went in zero. And they go, well, that's you know the thing what, that's funny not? about them. The, the Matt Corral one, that's a big swing. I know they did it in the third <laughs> round and they moved up, but that is a guy who is the, the giant project where you hope that maybe you strike gold and you get yourself in the, you know, the upper, uppermost world will be an Allen or a Mahomes and it's this slingshot release and he's a great athlete and he doesn't know how to play the position, but he's got all these physical skills. So I get that, and you kind of want the veteran incumbent guy before him, but it's just, I don't know, it feels like a stationary stationary move, and this is just so classic of them. They just have not had a plan all the way through, right? The What is the corollary and the comparison from, and where's the through line from Teddy Bridgewater to Sam Darnold to Baker Mayfield? Those are three completely different players, and Matt Corral being the fourth one, four completely different players. They swung on Russell Wilson and missed. They thought they had Deshaun Watson, and then the, the news came out about him and the revelations and allegations came out about him. Within 24 hours, they thought that deal was over the line. They thought they were in on Aaron Rodgers. That was never going to happen. It's just been a lurching from one quarterback shit show to the next one. And and Baker's, the, I think, the best of those lot, quite comfortably. I mean, he was excellent in 2020. It wasn't like he was just good. He was really, really good. Um, and, and maybe he can get back to that. The, the big thing for me is how much of last year's issues were down to the injury. That's what everyone points to. They are oh, the injuries, the injuries, the injuries. I posted some clips last night from the end of the season on Twitter where his mechanical breakdown, and this has been a common thing with baker dating back to his days at oklahoma when he gets skittish when he feels pressured his lower body mechanics go become a complete mess his accuracy gets really off and he has this really weird 
if you go through some of those video clips I posted, he has this like screwball foot thing he does where he like rotates his foot to generate extra torque because he likes to back away from pressure then release the ball. But he's not a natural from the arm slingshot thrower like Mahomes where he's generating velocity off platform with just his arm or, or with his hips. He kind of has to be in line to deliver the ball accurately, even though he doesn't really want to be. You know, he wants to play that Manzelian style of my body can be going this way and the ball can go that way. But whenever he's played well, though he looks like that and he looks like an off-script cool creator, whenever you watch him play well, particularly in 2020, when it was more systematized, right? It was the outside zone and boo, and it was very much about Stefanski elevating him and he just got the ball to where it needed to be. He was a true down-the-line, linear thrower, line it all up, great mechanics and deliver the ball. And when his mechanics fail him, he always misses high. And you see so many of those interceptions last year are he just misses high. That's his his go-to thing. He cannot get the ball on the line when he's off-platform. And the, and the thing that is compromised is this is consistent. When he's pressured, that's what happens. This That's not a thing where I was injured, so I'm trying to back away from the rush, right? Or I don't want to go to my left side or I can't throw out the pocket. He struggled throwing out the pocket last season, which I think was due to not wanting to get hit with a separated shoulder. <laughs> that sounds unbelievably painful. And I can understand why he wouldn't want to take shots. But the from the pocket footwork has devolved in such a way that that is correctable. That's the good news, right? You can fix that. But it's not like it's a one-season thing with him. This is a pattern of behavior dating back to, to college. And if if that's just who he is, then he will always be this high-variance, Jameis-type player where you don't really want to give him $60 million a year. Can he take us to the playoffs? And you're just waiting for you know a six-week stretch of him nosediving because his footwork just goes to shit. And I don't know how much time they're going to have to correct that. And I certainly don't trust this group to do it. And lastly, I don't trust he's going to have the protection needed, as we mentioned, to be able to say, I've got a ton of time in the pocket. I can line everything up right. Remember how good that Browns line was in 2020? They were dominant. That's why he had so much time. It was so easy. Guys were wide open, thanks to Stefanski. He could line everything up. When things break down, He's just not the that kind of create on the fly player that I think his reputation suggests because he's got kind of this maverick personality. That's not who he is as a player. He's Russell Wilson. That that that's who he is. He really is relying on that offensive line to protect him. And if they don't protect him, he's going to be pressured too much, which is going to com- completely impact on his game. You're talking about those off-platform flows. I watched uh, some of the some of the tape of the Patriots. I think it was like a forty-five-seven destroying game like that was brutal to watch like yeah. even watching it back they're great for highlights but for him it's not a consistent way to play he needs to have a more efficient way to approach the game to maybe reset deliver accurate throws with a proper base uh he needs to commit to improving himself he needs to find someone to work with over the next two to three months as well both inside and outside the facility and try and improve i'm sure he's been doing that over the, his rehab as well but he needs to find a way to correct that quickly because I'm not saying he'd be found out. He does have one way he can back up the wally. He can just hand the ball off to Christian McCaffrey, provided <laughs> that Christian McCaffrey doesn't get injured. Like yeah, the- that's that, and that's I'm not sure that's a sure thing. The thing with the footwork too is, you know. It, I wrote about this with regards to Trey Lance. Trey Lance out of nowhere in his first start in the NFL developed a heel click, which is just a killer in the NFL because it disrupts the whole timing of the offense. Everything in the NFL, no matter what people tell you about how the game's going, is still timing-based. They expect the ball to be there, you know, seven yards and one inch off the midline. Like That's where the ball's supposed to be, and it's supposed to happen 2.7 seconds. And if you break any part of that up, it don't work in the NFL, particularly in quick game and at the intermediate part of the field. 
Baker has always been tippy-tappy in the pocket, right? He's always had dancing feet. That's just kind of how he plays. But as you said, he used to regather himself and it was way more efficient. And he became a more natural, long-striding Kurt Warner type guy who could, when you take those longer leaps, you are already within the settled base to deliver the ball. When you start heel clicking and they come together, you have to add extra time and to regather your base. And if that's off a little, that's where he gets the axi issues and he does that, that weird screwy spirally foot thing. I don't know how correctable that is because that's just who he's been his entire career. One thing that stands out massively, we talked about pass protection. I was going through some of the numbers this morning. This is really, really interesting. So last year, when he had 2.5 seconds or less to throw the ball. So we're in quick game and or he's pressured, right? That, that's what it is. Or it's an RPO or something like that. He um, had a 0.12 EPA per play, which is just basically the value of the play for the non-nerds out there. That number, 0.12, is exactly the same as what Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Kyler Murray had over their entire subset of throws, right? So when he was throwing the ball quickly bang, decision made, get the ball out. He was as good as the best players in the league, right? Those are the best players in the league. You can find me guys better than those three, right? When he had more time to throw, 2.6 seconds or more, so he's got more protection, more time to throw, more decisions to make. Okay, he's got to read the coverage. Where am I going with the ball? Should I go there? Should I go there? Where will the option break? What's the leverage of the corner? When he has to think more and he has more time, his uh, EPA play fell to negative 0.32, which is like Zach Wilson. So he is the rare quarterback where given more time went from being unbelievable to terrible. That does not happen. That does that that is quite literally the worst in the league over that span outside of Zach Wilson, who lives in his own little his own little fortress of solitude of terribleness, unfortunately, at least so far. That's unbelievable. And you see it uh, again, the Green Bay game is the best. That's where the Green Bay game is where it just completely fell apart. So it is a one game sample size. I'm not sure it's so fair because he was so good in 2020, but the, he just has never proven to be a guy who can bounce one to two to backside three and then rip it in. He's just a one read and go guy. And there's, there's, there's limits on that, you know, and if you're going to be a one read and go guy, that works when you have either McVeigh, Shanahan, Stefanski, and guys fly open through play design and you're just ripping the ball everywhere. When you have Ben McAdoo and Matt Rule, and Matt Rule fired Joe Brady because he said, we need to run the ball more, right? <laughs> I, I'm not so sure that kind of instant quick game thing is going to happen. And what's funny, I think people think with Baker, it's the reverse that he's not a great decision maker. And so if it all happens really fast, he's in trouble. It's actually the opposite. If you give this guy time to think, it's not Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott is so much better with more time. Baker Mayfield gets worse with more time. Do you think after guys like Case, Case Keenan come out and talk about the whole injury he had with his arm, the fact he was wearing basically a harness that season, coupled with obviously there were situations in his lower body, but do you feel like that and quite frankly the negative atmosphere in that locker room where the Browns literally come out and say we want an adult, we, we want an adult, a quarterback might push him this year to just go complete LeBron revamp mode and take them to town or what? Do you think that plays any effect or do you think he's fundamentally got issues there with... No, the, the, the footwork thing is obviously a real issue. As I've said, that the injury one, I, I give him a complete do-over. So he's got these really terrible pressure. When he's pressured, okay, his numbers in terms of accuracy and I think passer rating or QBR, one of the two numbers people use, right, to measure these things. He's in the he's, He was lumped in last season with Justin Fields, Davis Mills, Zach Wilson, 
uh, and Sam Darnold, right? Those are the four guys he was clustered with. As you can tell, three of those guys are rookies. They're all terrible under pressure. It's too fast for them. The game, Sam Darnold's terrible. He was the guy in Carolina. Um, and the only guy worse than though that that group of what's that five with, with Baker in there was Roethlisberger, who was running for his life because he was, you know... A, 80 years old and didn't want to get hit anymore. And so I have to imagine the reason he was that bad, he's never been that bad under pressure at any point in his career. Um, that has to be, it fucking hurts to get hit when you've got a separated shoulder. I, I just can't fathom having Miles Garrett fall on top of me. That's a bad example because he plays with him. You know, having Rashawn Gary fall on top of me when my shoulder is already busted and I'm fired up with whatever horse tranquilizer they've given me to force me out there. So I think once that, and, and then what you see is obviously defense is just teeing off on him because they know that this guy doesn't want to get hit. So I do think that that skews up all the sample size, but there are certainly, I, I don't think that saying the injury, it can be a catch-all for all the issues. There are issues beyond the injuries and it's going to be up to Carolina to fix them. The problem is I don't trust the two guys tasked with fixing him to do it. I think there's a good player in there. And I think if he'd gone to Seattle, I think they have a better infrastructure to get the most out of him. I'm not quite sure in Carolina, these are the two fellas to, to make it happen. The one thing before I talk about the Browns here as well, do you think there's been any situation over the last month or two where the Browns have tried to take him in and say, look, Baker, let's give this a go. Like it just seems as if it's yeah. just completely ripped apart. And I don't know. I think we're going to look back on this in four or five years for the Browns. Genuinely, I think that's how much of an, like a situation this is now because none of us know at the time of recording how long Deshaun could be out for. No, let's do the Browns now and we'll flip back to the, the Panthers. Actually, I like that as breaking it up. If Deshaun misses the full year, they will be paying $55 million for guys to not play quarterback for them. That's that's an insane, and this is the team with obviously Super Bowl aspirations. Now, no one should feel sorry for the Cleveland Browns. They made the deal with the devil. They screwed over the guy who played through an injury for them. This is one of the, the shames of this thing is, and you know, frankly, and if this kid's in the car, please do the fifteen second skip ahead button. Fuck them for leaking that they, they needed an adult in the room after the guy they've brought in, uh, and and not just that. Like even if they didn't bring. Deshaun Watson in you know they didn't bring in someone who could wind up being a felon or suspended by the league to say someone's not an out in the room when the guy just played through instead of getting himself a 200 million dollar contract which he was probably in line for because that's just what happens with these guys right if they play well they're the next guy in line and maybe he doesn't get the Allen number he definitely doesn't get the Watson number but he would have got a serious number had he just shut himself down and we only had 2020 and three weeks of 2021 right for him to gut through that and then these people to come out and say he needs to be an adult in the room. Like he put his body on the line for the organization and they shafted him in the back. So, I, you know, I feel no sympathy for them, but yeah, they're in a real perilous situation. I can't imagine at any point he felt like, oh yeah, I'll just go back into that building and work with those people and uh, say hello in the morning and walk in with my coffee and get my breakfast. There's just <laughs> no way. Yeah, I mean, he's not even been there, right? He's been hosting his camps. I think he hosts camps locally in Ohio every off season because, you know, not an adult somehow, but he always camps to help young quarterbacks come through. Um, he's taken that back to Stillwater or Texas, I believe. He's not even been in Ohio. So yeah, just a complete wrap. It's incredible how quickly time moves on. I mean, this is a guy that took them to the playoffs from 2002 to 2020. And not just taking the playoffs, they lost by, I think it was three or four points against the Chiefs in a, yeah, yeah. In a close game. You know, everyone can have a bad year. 
I understand there are different issues there, but it just feels like they were way too quick to move on. And we probably could have used hard knocks in season for the Browns last year. It, it would have been nice to see exactly what was going on. Um, I would have loved thing, to see the, the big, Seattle one. The big thing with the bad year is they didn't evolve the offense enough in the passing game. They tried to do some stuff, which I will not bore people with going into too many details now. They pretty much completely revamped their run game and off those run actions, they had to change their play action attack basically when they'd been so successful, obviously with the turn and boot stuff last year. And there was only so much turn and boot stuff they could do last season because they didn't want to have him blind with that shoulder injury and have someone come in you know, I wrote about this earlier in the year. Teams are now doing what's called green lighting the quarterback, which is on, on the boot action stuff. You do not even concede the fact that he could hand the ball off. You go for the quarterback no matter what. And if he hands the ball off, no problem. And if he keeps the ball, obviously, happy days. You get to clean the guy out, usually free, unless they're pulling someone from the backside. They didn't want to put Baker in that spot, which is good coaching and, and you know good humanity to not have your guy who's injured opened up to a clean shot from Chandler Jones or somebody but they just didn't evolve it enough. And I don't think they believe they could evolve it enough that PFF has really cool heat maps they put out. And if you look at the Browns, they have the highest percentage of routes targeting the middle of the field. That was what they tried to do last season. They went really outside the numbers and they got Baker on the move a lot. Last year, they said, we're going to target the middle of the field because everyone's taking away outside the numbers, right? Everyone's playing two deep defenses. Now everyone's trying to sit on the boot action stuff. And they tried to target the middle of the field and he had one of the worst accuracy rates in the middle of the field. And I think he finished like 19th, uh, sorry, 29th in just attempts in the middle of the field. So he just wasn't even trying it. Now is that the Russell Wilson thing of the height, not trusting it. He can't see it. So he doesn't want to feel it. He's not really a, an instinctive player. He wants to be able to see and finalize it, which even you know Aaron Rodgers is like that. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. He just wouldn't throw the ball to where they were putting the receivers. So I think they tried some evolution and I just think they concluded as the league changes, you know, he was perfect for that style in that three year run, basically. And we got him peak for the one year because he was a rookie before that and the roster wasn't good enough. And that that mini evolution of the league has run out and this guy isn't good enough to evolve beyond it to where the league is going, which is you're just going to, the league will now be for the next three years. Can you stand in there and pick people apart? And is Mahomes good enough to do that? We'll find out is what is, um, Herbert good enough to do that. These guys who had were elevated systematically. It's what the Niners did. Jimmy G is not good enough to sit there and empty and pick you apart. Stafford is, Jimmy G isn't. And they tried to go with Trey Lance to, to correct that. And I think it's the same same thing with the Browns. The whole situation with Baker Mayfield and play action and 11 personnel. Uh, Carolina last year were ranked ninth in the league, but they only had a positive play rate of 37.7%. And only the Giants in the league were worse than this. So... I mean, let's see what happens with Matt Rule and McAdoo there. But um, I mean, do you want to talk Jimmy G? Is it is it, is it too early? Because you're you're stoking it up there with Jimmy G. Is it? No, we can do Jimmy G. I mean, that's the domino effect, right? I mean, we've hit the Browns, we've hit most of the Panthers stuff, right? The domino effect would be who is left now on the quarterback market. One of these guys was going going to go first. Garoppolo kind of screwed this up with his surgery, right? He threw the timing out for everyone. I mean, what do you think with Garoppolo now? Cleveland has Jacoby Brissett. I forgot that until I looked through the depth chart. Very quietly brought him in. Yeah. I I assumed it was going to be a horror show after, um, you know, the depth chart after Mayfield and Watts. I didn't think they would have the the cap allocation to be able to do that, though they probably in their mind already budgeted for Baker leaving. Brissett's good enough, right? 
20th best QB in the league, maybe, when he starts and he's got given protection. That's perfectly adequate. Um, so I don't know if they would do a Garoppolo deal because how much money would you be committing to the cap if they, if they brought in Jimmy Garoppolo? That can't even work. And I'm not even sure that you'd have to do a, such a restructuring. I don't I, know. Yeah, I, I, in terms of him coming in, no, it's not going to work. There's no way they can afford that, especially with the amount of money they've given to Deshaun and the amount of money they've burnt with, with Baker. Um, am I crazy to think there's a situation where Jimmy G stays and Sam Rizdusko and, and, and plays... I will say, I just looked up, the Browns have $48 million in cap space right now, somehow. So they could absorb Garoppolo if they wanted to have it, if they find out Watson is indefinitely suspended, which could even be two years, could be a year, could be six months. Then maybe Yeah, and it could, it could be so for a lot, lot. Like it doesn't seem to make, I mean, we're, we're not legal experts, right? But it does not seem to make sense to suspend someone for a year and leave it at that. Like there's serious like allegations. It wrapped up last week. I, I'm not sure when, when we're going to hear something back on that, but I mean... The, NF, the NFL is pushing for indefinite because they are worried about saying we're doing eight games and then there being a new accusation or being some... They, they want all the legal stuff as settled as plausible. The active legal stuff, I should say, obviously he settled a bunch of cases. There's three more civil cases still outstanding. They want all that to be finalized, make sure there's no more criminal cases come forward, and then they can reinstate him after that so it's more like they'll do the indefinite and then the timeline will be based on the the conclusion of the civil suits and if there's another criminal accusation and then if there's a further civil accusation they'll probably just play it by ear and not resuspend him i imagine um but that that could be as you say it could be it could be a year it could be 18 months it could be three days you have no idea with that stuff it's just we just have no idea well they've got josh dobbs uh, who has flown 17 regular season passes in his career as well. Josh Dobbs <laughs> is a aeronautical engineer. Absolute genius. Um, is that what, do people know that? Is that one of those, um, someone went to Harvard? I had no idea. You had no idea. Okay. Josh Dobbs was an aeronautical engineer at Tennessee. Um, same as Matt Patricia, by the way, turned down working for NASA to go play quarterback in the NFL. Josh Dobbs did. Why didn't he even ask the Panthers for PJ Walker to have him in, the, in like, just as a backup, like a real backup. Don't get me wrong, but just yeah. take him because he's, he's finished in Carolina now. Like there's no way with Sam Darnold, Baker Medfield and Matt Corral there that PJ Walker is going to get a sniff surely that's a good point i have even taken donald back i think donald is terrible but why not what, what's the downside if, if you could have made it work where carolina eats a lot of the you know they balance the budget of we'll eat some of one you eat some of the other or you we just swap them and give us the pick i'd have done that to have donald as a backup behind brissette at least donald knows like how to run a meeting and you know where, where the huddle is you know <laughs> the most primitive and basic of things that, that that'd be worthwhile um let's go back to garoppolo though so who are the candidates now then? They're not going to trade into Seattle. And I'm out. <laughs> Who else? Where else is there? Am I missing someone? Is there this? any situation in which he can go to Seattle? Because if he goes as that, I mean, look, don't don't get me wrong. You got what Drew Locke, Geno Smith there. So even I mean Baker Mayfield would have walked in Seattle day one and been the starter, right? There has to be, even though it's the same division, there has to be a situation where he can go. I know there's a whole NFC West thing there, but there's just no way there's no way you could do that uh you know we're still unsure quite how in everyone in the building is on trey lance obviously that's the move they're going to go to they did all the draft capital i've as i've said on this before i've written a ton about trey lance so i exhaust myself <laughs> digging back through the trey lance details but there are plenty of reports and you talk to anyone who's covered kyle shanahan um as clever as he is um he is a tempestuous man that's why his staff leaves him. And 
there's a sense with him of who's in the in club, who's in the out club day to day. You know, one day he's like, let's trade for Trey Lance. The next day he's like, could we do a Tom Brady deal? The next day he's like, you know what? Jimmy G's the guy. He can take us to the next level. Clearly, just with the, everything they've done, from an organizational perspective, it's time to go with Lance. But what what is the upside benefit, unless you just want to do a solid for Garoppolo as an organization, just using your resources? And I hate to speak of humans as resources, but this is it's the NFL as a hard cap. What is the upside in trading Garoppolo in division for like a fourth, fifth round pick, third round pick, as opposed to just keeping him on the roster in case Lance is bad, Lance gets injured? Um, or just some, or he's just not the player you thought he would be, or it doesn't take off the way you thought it would be, or you go through preseason and Garoppolo is just much better. It feels like he's missed the boat and getting somewhere because you know, well, time is one thing. I think it was January, February time. Correct me if I'm wrong. The Browns came out and said that the Baker Mayfield was a guy, and they're very happy with him. And now I look at that situation. In the same aspect, towards the combine, they come out the 49ers and said about Trey Lance and. He's going to be a starting quarterback. There does seem to be that it could change very quickly in San Francisco. And I know they've built it around Trey Lance, but when you've got Jimmy Garoppolo there, surely you've got a good option. A, in my opinion, a stable option. I was saying off, off air that we spoke on a different podcast to Ryan Leaf, and he was very vocal on that he thought the 49ers were making a, a big mistake. And it makes you think, at what point in the season would they change? Because if Trey Lance, like it's going to take him time to gel, you know, you can't just gel in two or three preseason games. He's going to need the first six, seven weeks of the season. And you can't just pull the plug rawly and put Jimmy G in because that then goes back on everything you've done both in the draft last year and getting them in in the draft this year. But so again, it's, it's very confusing with the 49ers. I, I don't know. Like, I mean, if he's not going to go to Seattle, where else can he go? I'm just looking through the league now. As you said, it's a miss the boat situation. Tennessee has Tannehill for this year. He's just as good, if not better, than Garoppolo. Ooh. They got Malik Willis waiting in the wings, right? I'm just going through just back of a notepad type who could need a QB. Atlanta, they did Mario. They draft Desmond Ritter. Not going to happen. New Orleans is one you could talk yourself into. I think Dennis Allen would be up for that. I don't know how you make those finances work. And they kind of just said, we'll do one more year of Jameis, then we'll figure it out next offseason, essentially. Um, you keep going down the line. Detroit, Goff versus uh, Garoppolo, not worth the hassle. Washington was the big one, right? They go in on Carson Wentz for reasons that remain unclear to everyone, except for the fact they wanted to get a new story out there to cover for Dan Snyder's numerous scandals. The Giants, you know, I think Brian Dayball with Jimmy Garoppolo, they could have got them through a year comfortably, but they, they are absolutely content with going forward with Daniel Jones, and they would rather have signed Mitch Trubisky if, um, if he had picked there. So they just the numbers are the numbers, man. It's just, it's just, there's not a spot unless the the Browns find out that Deshaun is suspended indefinitely, and they want to do that deal. But it's funny because if he is suspended indefinitely, and it's it, you know it's looking that way at the minute, and we don't know what's going to happen. But if you're the 49ers and that happens, you have all the chips. <laughs> like you're looking at the Browns going. Hmm. What like instead of a four for whatever you're going to get from, you can try and get more out of them. You've really intrigued me there with some of those options: Detroit, New York, because Daniel. Like I, I don't think Daniel Jones is, is going to be there. I don't think that. I think those you would those would have had to have been done pre-draft. That's the only those teams just have moved on. Like that, they're it, Garoppolo isn't good enough to be worth up. You know, undoing your pre-season prep 
for teams yeah. that know they're not winning anything. They know they're not winning anything. So the, o- the only way, you, the only reason to bring Garoppolo in is your roster is so dominant and you lose someone. So now their hope is either an injury in the preseason or a suspension to Deshaun Watson. With Deshaun Watson and the Browns, it makes sense to go and get Garoppolo because the roster is so good. For all those other teams we've listed, what is the point of getting on that treadmill? It, it is pointless. The guy doesn't stay healthy. He's not good enough. And you may as well just go draft someone next year. I can't wait for our live podcast when uh, Deshaun is like, you know, we, we we find out what's going to happen to Deshaun Watson. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have to live because I said Jimmy Grappolo could be gone within an hour if that happens. Um, yeah, like I, I I know you wanted to talk about the 2018 quarterback class very quickly uh, and sort of like the, I I was laughing when I read about it. Like, like the <laughs> now looking back, like some of those decisions, like the one that stands out for me is Rosen. And like reading about what some people have said about him that he never really put the effort in they think and that he came out obviously after he was drafted I think 10th and said well nine teams have made a serious mistake here but you would think from that you'd be motivated to give everything you have and it seems as if you know well he hasn't clearly but then he was never really given a full chance in Arizona but that whole that whole draft class in 2018 like the fact that Baker Mayfield went before Josh Allen Sam Darnold went before Josh Allen (laughs) Lamar Jackson went thirty second in the first round. Is uh, is mad? I'm jumping around different topics here. No, it's funny because I saw a tweet yesterday that I thought was horseshit, where someone said um, that the two quote unquote projects ended up being the two best players, uh, and it shows you how hard the job is. But Lamar Jackson was not a project. Lamar Jackson played in the most advanced passing system of any of those guys. Um, he played in a pro offense. He just happened to run the ball because he's an unbelievable athlete. Um, so that's conflating two different things. Lamar Jackson was ready to go and it was kind of borne out because he became an MVP really fast because he was really ready to go. Um, Mayfield was more of a project. Donald was more of a project. Allen was obviously the huge project, which is the big win. I don't think, you know, it's easy now in reflection you do when people do those redrafts when the draft comes around to say Allen would be the first overall pick, Lamar would go second or vice versa, depending on your preference. I still don't think the Mayfield the Mayfield one to me stands up. As you mentioned before, a team that had a 20-year playoff drought, he took them to the playoffs. He had a really, really good 2020 season. Is he as good as those guys? Is he MVP caliber? Jump on my cape. I'll take us to the promised land. No, he's not. Could he be a consistent Derek Carr where one year he just goes off and you think, oh, he's a top 10 player. The next year you go, oh, he's probably in the middle class. Should they consider moving on? And you have that debate with yourself for five, six years. That's probably, he probably winds up in that range or maybe even a little bit lower than Derek Carr, who I do think is a good player. Um, the other two, Donald's a mess. And the Rosen one, I mean, that's still the most confusing thing ever because it gets tied up in this whole notion of white privilege and all this stuff because he was the guy who had the hot tub in college and he, he looked like he was arrogant and he was more than a footballer and all this stuff. Um, and it's tough because a lot of people who are pro player and you know pro player empowerment tried to defend him when he was getting that just character assassination onslaught which i do think some of it was when too farm was unfair but some of it was also borne out to be true because he didn't work hard enough and not only did he not work hard enough when he played he was awful the the cardinals made the right move right you, you kick him to the curb you go get kyle murray that's that seems like a win and it's not as if he's not had shots with what i think the dolphins the falcons were racking up the teams right now i think right he, He's had opportunities to show he could be something elsewhere, and it's just never happened. His stats, this is, this is the stat from last year, so it may have changed, but out of quarterbacks have thrown more than 500 passes since he came into the league in 2018. Rosen ranks dead last 
in touchdowns, completion percentage, yards per attempt, win-loss percentage. Uh, one thing on Lamar Jackson, um, Bill Polian, front office executive in the NFL, famously said he would have best fitted as a receiver, which uh, Lamar really did uh, prove him wrong. And obviously, Josh Allen, people were talking about his accuracy. For him to go from Wyoming to do what he's done with the Bills and what he will continue to do with the Bills is is incredible. Uh, and I know there's a lot more of that in, in the magazine that's... Uh, I've been reading through Ollie a lot over the last week and I'm really enjoying it. Nice. Yes, we should say that as we close, the 2022 Gridiron Annual is out now. I'm going to grab this just quickly for our uh, the people who watch the videos. We I've not done, like I said, down the show, by the way. If you're listening now as the podcast, these are available on YouTube as video podcasts. A lot of people prefer to watch podcasts, I've learned. That's something that is new to me. People like to watch us discuss football in our offices so those are available on youtube if you want to this out now people can see that on the youtube is the 2022 gridiron annual team by team breakdowns if you like nerdy football stuff um i wrote the bulk of this so i could not recommend it enough as a biased person because i wrote a ton of it that this is not the one-stop shop for everything you'll need before the season but pretty damn close that you're gonna have um up-to-date analysis on every single team and then we've got a ton of cool features neil reynolds sat down with jonathan taylor to talk with him about uh, the new era in indy i wrote a big piece on Tua tug of and the conundrum there cy clancy wrote about brady's retirement unretirement cameron hogwood wrote about the rise of the charges brandon staley justin herbert i i would really recommend it it's unbelievable value for money frankly unbelievable you can get a digital print wherever you are listening to this in the world just type in gridiron annual 2022 in your googles and it will come up and you can you can have a read through michael is there anything in this annual that jumped out to you either you want to challenge me on and say what were you thinking when you wrote this at 3 a.m in the morning in the dead of june um or is there anything that jumped out that you just enjoyed that you want to highlight i enjoyed the fact that you could open up and get a team by team breakdown because i think a lot of people uh, if they watch the league, maybe they watch the league and then they, they, they don't go out of it in the off-season, but they're not up to date as much as they want to be. They can open this annual and they get straight back into it, even though we're still a good couple of months out from the season starting. It's a really, really good magazine. And I will say for all my friends in Ireland uh, who have had a tough time with the whole EU thing, you can get it delivered to your door if you're in the EU. If you're not in the EU, there's loads of stuff online there. Uh, down at the bottom of the screen, Ollie, uh, where the annual is, and you get it delivered within the EU. And uh, I know people have reached out to me from Germany. They've really enjoyed the magazine and people in Dublin as well. So um, looking forward, it, it's, 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 there's, a, there's a real good feel about the, the quality of not just the content, but the, the annual this year, Ollie. And I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen throughout the season. And yes, we're not just on YouTube, we're on TikTok on instagram as well so uh, good very very good for the minute i'm just excited for the next few weeks ollie as we go into uh training camp and, and pre-season and to hear these thoughts develop because there's going to be so much more to talk about and obviously what, what we said with um jimmy grappolo deshaun watson the news is never going to end i'm just flipping through the annual him I'm, I'm impressing myself as i flip through the annual i helped create um the burning questions is good I think that if you just want a lowdown of every, if you're one of those people who watches your own team, goes into your own media ecosystem of your own team, local podcast, then watches Red Zone, this is, I genuinely believe, the best guide to the season to get you up to date to learn what other teams are doing schematically, personnel in and out, and then the main question for you to track during the season for other teams. You know, if you're a 
Bills fan, let's say, you might not necessarily know what the burning question is facing the Chargers. You read this annual, you will do. And just for people in the US, I know we've got American listeners here. It's it's in Barnes and Noble. It could not be more easy to go pick up. You go to a Barnes and Noble in the US. This will be on the stand somewhere. Ask them for it. They'll show you to it. And if you cannot find it there, or you do not live near a Barnes and Noble. Um, either email me or buy a digital copy. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Gridiron Show. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe, go follow us everywhere. Michael said there's a TikTok situation going on, apparently. There's an Instagram situation that we apparently have too. Uh, there's the YouTube channel. Also, go to readoptional.substack.com. I know we're doing a ton of ads here at the end for our own stuff, but I am writing a ton about football in super duper detailed nerdy ways, and I would recommend that you go and just check it out. There's free trials. You can try it for a week. If you're not into it, no problem. There's tons of free articles on there too. You can go through and see if it's the style that fits how you want to view the game. Readoptional.substack.com. Uh, we will be back next week with the NFL's All Bargain Team. Michael, thank you for doing this. See you soon, Alex.